good morning and happy Mother's Day. I hope you um, find a way to celebrate Mother's Day in an encouraging, helpful context in our COVID season. It's a very difficult kind of way to be trying to gather together and so on. It is, we are in complex times and it's been some time since I've been up uh, in front of you. So I did want to just say a couple of words about the times we're in. In fact, I want to say a couple of things before we look at the passage this morning. So we have an extended introduction. Um, so bear with me for a moment. The first one is I, I just want to let you know what's happening with church. During last week, uh, kind of senior leaders of church met for some uh, quite considerable time to think into what's the next steps as uh, possible restrictions ease. And uh, that, of course, uh, we got news of that on Friday night that um, things might change. Uh, but we're conscious that as we've done that planning last week, it changes on Friday and it could change again next week. So that's the nature of the season we're in. It's very, very changeable. In fact, a month ago, we were told we'd be locked down for six months at least. And so that things have changed so much in the last week is extraordinary. Uh, so what might the future look like? Here, here it is for you. We don't know. Uh, we're, we're still um, just conscious that things might ease but then come back again. We just don't know where the next couple of months... We've never been through this before. None of us have. And uh, we, of course, now have the different setting. We've got a COVID testing centre on site here. Many of you will have picked this up through the news that the, um, our top building, which is up in this direction where I'm standing, uh, many of the rooms there are now being used to test uh, for the virus in the community. Uh, we were approached... Uh, Back when the whole uh, virus kicked off and became very serious, we were approached then to see if we would uh, use some of our facilities for this purpose, to rent some of the facilities. And, uh, you know, we've got an ideal centre, ideal location. For us, it was an easy decision, but also a tricky one. It was easy because we want to help. Um, we, uh, we could see this as a great opportunity to serve the community. And so at that level, it was a very easy decision. But tricky as well because we're conscious it brings with it a risk that if restrictions do ease and we can be meeting back here again physically, it does have some implications in our ability to use the top hall. But we felt we had to take that risk. And uh, I'm sure you'd agree that uh, it was the right thing to do, good thing to do, and we're praying that God would use it to uh, serve and help the community. What will we do if restrictions ease? Uh, the Lord will provide. We're confident we'll find a way through that and we'll work it out and we'll let you know as, uh, as information comes to light. We'll just keep you up to speed with what's happening and where we're at so you know as much as we know at the moment. There's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is now to move into our time together around the Word and just to draw attention to the fact that we have some complexity today. Uh, it is Mother's Day and the passage we've got down to preach on is 1 Corinthians 12. Now, you heard that read by the Hartley family there. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, I've gone through it again and again and again and cannot find the word mum at all in it. It's not a passage that seems to speak at all to Mother's Day. And uh, it's about spiritual gifts, uh, about tongues and prophecy, the gift of healings, distinguishing between spirits, extraordinary, spectacular gifts are talked about through this chapter but no mention of mothers. So what do we do? Well, the temptation uh, has been to perhaps ditch this passage and just go with the theme of talking about mothers. But a couple of things stop us doing that. Uh, one is our habit of choosing a book of the Bible 
and going chapter by chapter through that book of the Bible, seeking to understand what it has to say. We, 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 that has been our pattern for 23 years. If you are sort of tuning in new to church, then that's what we do here week by week. And the reason we do that is simple. It's because we're convinced that these words, these Bible words, are actually words from God himself. Um, and so why spend time listening to one of us when you could actually hear what the Bible has to say? And so we are very reluctant to ever step aside from just seeing what the scriptures have to say. There's the first thing. But the second thing is this. Um, as you do go through this passage and reflect carefully on it, uh, extraordinarily, it actually does speak to Mother's Day in the most interesting way. There are very profound connections between what this passage has to say and the world that you see if you think harder about Mother's Day. Let me see if I can join this up for us. Mother's Day. Mother's Day is a time where we honour one member of humankind, the woman, a particular gender. And it's a time we particularly honour one member of that gender, of that sex, uh, a woman who has given birth to a child. Uh, a woman who has an ability to do something tied to her biological shape, to who she is. And once you start thinking about that, you'll appreciate there's some relevance going on here in that uh, Mother's Day was invented by a Christian woman uh, many decades ago now. She uh, loved her mum, appreciated all she did and agitated and agitated for many years for there to be a celebration of mothers and motherhood. And that got traction, that caught on uh, in America and then now across the world. It's a wonderful thing. But imagine trying to get Mother's Day started today in our culture. In recent years, we are super sensitive to any form of discrimination. Now, it's a good thing to be sensitive to, to discriminate against people is bad. Uh, conversely, equality is good. Honouring all people is great. Having unity together is precious and good. But if your eyes are sensitive to the issues of equality and unity and oneness and honouring all, then you can start to see how Mother's Day actually might be problematic. Mother's Day triggers every modern sensitivity. We're honouring one role over another role. Rolling one gender over another agenda. What about women who can't be mothers, who want to be mothers, who wish they could? In honouring mums, what are we saying about women who can't have kids, who haven't got children? What about men who have children raising kids without a mother? In the, what are we saying about all of that? In fact, some people today are calling for the end of Mother's Day to be called, calling it Parent Day. Now, I don't want to step into all of that argument particularly, but I'm not saying it to trigger that kind of outrage, but I'm saying it to raise this issue that this part of the Bible actually addresses. It's the issue of unity, equality and difference. How do we have unity as a humankind? How do we remain united? How do we enjoy equality together? How do we honour everybody appropriately and yet recognise the differences that we have that are there? 
This is a massive issue today. There is a longing in each of us for equality, that we might have a world where all men and women are treated equally. There is a deep longing in each of us for humanity being united, the divisions and hostilities and tribalism removed. Imagine a world where that was gone. But here's the thing, how do we get there? People today are suggesting all kinds of strategies. Uh, some are suggesting that we ought to ignore the differences between humankind because they're superficial, they're of little account, but that's not true. The differences amongst humans are actually deep, profound and real. And they're not just a matter of choice, they're a matter of biology and the shaping of who we are. Others are saying in that light that the differences are only cultural, that really we are all the same and if you wanted to be whoever you wanted to be, you could choose to be that, it's just you're not chosen. No, no, that's not true as well. People are different, not by choice or sociology or context and culture, but by birth, genetics, chemistry. We are different, the differences are real. Then how is equality possible? How can we have that kind of world where there are no more divisions and no more disunity and hostility towards one another? Now, if you've got the eyes to see, I guess what I'm offering here is Mother's Day raises something at this question. In a very conservative culture, we don't even notice that as an issue. But if you step out of our world into a world, the modern kind of sensitive culture, you begin to see it's really very significant. Well, I want to suggest to you this morning, the Bible has the answer. That's a wonderful answer that comes out of this passage. Extraordinarily. It gives us the keys to a kind of future that our world longs for. And I want to offer that it's a kind of future you can only get in Jesus. That longing that's in our heart finds a resonance and an answer in what God has done for us in Jesus. And it's a beautiful hope that he holds out for us. There's what I want to take us towards this morning. Here's my plan. I'll pray in a moment for us because it's a big topic, but I want to go down into the particular issue that the Corinthians were wrestling with that uh, Paul, who wrote this letter, was writing towards. I want to deal with that particular issue, which for many people will be of very great relevance. It's dealing with the topic of spiritual gifts. Um, what are spiritual gifts? How do you get them? How do you experience them? And so on. Um, many amongst our church family, many of you have lived through that kind of period of time where there were great fights over these issues and for you it'll be very relevant. Uh, others of you may have friends in different kind of church settings who talk a lot about these things and for you it'll be very relevant to actually wrestle with this issue. I mean for all of us just to listen to the words of God is very relevant. But I want to suggest there are many amongst us, many listening in today who may not normally come to church. I mean if that's you it's great to have you with us. I'm just conscious that this is a a wonderful time to explore the things of Christ in a very convenient way. Um, you can tune in on TV and, and we're so wonderfully thankful for the technology that makes that possible. Can I, can I offer to you, you may not be that interested in spiritual gifts, but can I suggest this passage will take us into that larger topic of unity, equality, how it is that we can experience differences across humankind and yet have the kind of equality that our heart longs for. This will take us into deeper things. So there's where I want to go. I want to deal with the passage and sort of step out of it every now and then and think about that bigger topic and take us through to what I hope is a very helpful conclusion. But let me pray as we do that. Heavenly Father, we do ask, please, that you might 
Help us today to reflect well on the words that you have given us. We pray that please you would grow us, change us, teach us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the passage is 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, Yeah, if you've got your Bibles open up there. It's a passage that recognises diversity. You look there at verse 4, 5 and 6. The the language of diversity is used numbers of times. There are different gifts, different kinds of gift. Verse 5, there are different kinds of service. Verse 6, there are different kinds of workings. Differences is a is a strong theme that's mentioned there. You come down to verse 8 and all the way through to verse 10, uh, the author, Paul, mentions the diversity. To one is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit, to another faith, to another healings, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, distinguishing of spirits, speaking in tongues, the interpretation of tongues. He casts out a whole range of different gifts that the Spirit might give. Um, This, of course, is only one list of gifts in the New Testament. You get a number of these lists uh, through the New Testament. You get one, another mention of different gifts in the end of chapter 12. Um, If you flip over there, you'll see in uh, verse 28, uh, apostles, prophets, teachers, miraculous gifts of healing, helping, guidance, administration is partly what's mentioned there different kinds of tongues and so on. You get uh, another list of gifts in Romans chapter 12, 1 Peter chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4. You get various lists of gifts through the New Testament. And um, uh, there is a very broad range in all of this that uh, you begin to see emerge. Now, uh, there is great diversity. That's much of what the point is that's being said here. There's great diversity in the kind of gifts that are suggested that God gives. There's broader still, actually, not just these chapter 12 spectacular gifts of the Spirit, because that's what you see through this particular section, uh, gifts of knowledge and gifts of healing and gifts of prophecy in tongues. It's not just these spectacular gifts, but other parts of the New Testament talk about more ordinary gifts. Well, the end of chapter 12 does as well, the, the gift of administration, the gift of teaching, the gift of helps, um, the gift of giving. Romans chapter 12 talks about the gift of just giving money is a gift of the Spirit. Uh, There's various, uh, you you go even broader and you get the language of singleness being a gift that God gives, the ability to enjoy being single. There's great diversity uh, among people, God's people, with their various gifts. Now, Paul's reason though for raising all of this diversity is because of the issue of unity, the issue of equality within the body of Christ. You see, come back to chapter 12, verse 4, and notice, notice the repetition that happens here. Paul says, there are different kinds of gifts, yes, but the same Spirit distributes them all. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord gives them all. There are different kinds of workings, yes, but in them all and in every one it is the same God at work. There's an acknowledgement of diversity, but immediately upon acknowledging that there's a reflection on unity. And the unity that comes through the particular expressions that he gives us here. Now what I want to suggest to you is that 
Paul is wrestling with the very thing we're wrestling with. Particularly in the church context, of course, though. He's wrestling with the challenge of how do you live with diversity and not have that cause you to split into factions and parties and tribes, the haves and the have-nots. How do you keep equality and unity in the midst of diversity? It seems in the Corinthian setting, they had a habit of dividing off together. They, in chapter 2 and 3, you get expression of how they divided over their leaders. Um, they, they kind of gathered around one leader over against another leader and formed little factions and parties. My leader's this and your leader's that and better and worse and so on. They divided over their eating, their eating of meals and they, 1 Corinthians 11 talks about this kind of thing. And here they are dividing over gifts. They'd become, for them, gifts had become a way of elevating one group over another. Some had the more spectacular gifts. Some had more ordinary gifts. And they saw these gifts as evidence that the ones with the more spectacular gifts were in touch with the Spirit of God in the way that the others weren't. They were the ones who were regarded as more spiritual, more in touch with God's Spirit. Now, it is such an obvious thing to do. You see, how do humans cope with differences? We are so quick to separate into our different forms and different groups who have our different habits, hobbies, interests or skills and abilities. We do readily form into parties and factions. This is part of what humans do. And the church for the last 50 years has done it all again. Over the last 50 years, the church has split into various churches over their attitude towards the gifts. Some churches believing they have the more spectacular gifts and so they're the spirit church and others without those gifts believing the same thing is happening again today. Well, Paul tackles this issue and uh, that's actually the very purpose of these chapters because chapter 12 verse 1, it is about, well, as Graham drew attention last week, it's about being spiritual. It's about being a person of the spirit. It's about spiritual things as well as the gifts of the Spirit. And Paul works his way through these chapters to correct their thinking, a kind of thinking that led into divisions. Um, the first step was last week, but now he hits chapter 4 to 11. Yes, diversity is there, but here's the first key to unravelling the divisions, bringing unity. What's the first key? It'll come up on the screen for us. Uh, the first key is the diversity is a gift from the one God. God has given us this diversity, the one God. Verse 4 to 6 again, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Different kinds of workings, but all from the one and same God. You come all the way down to verse 11 where he kind of summarises it and you get it very strongly put. All of these diverse gifts are the work of the one and the same Spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Paul's first point is, it's crazy to be splitting around the gifts when the gifts come from the one and same God. He tackles this problem head on. I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, he says to them, 
All the diversities come from the one and same God, one and same Spirit. To see some gifts as evidence of the Spirit's work and not other gifts is to sever Spirit from Spirit, God from God. They're all one and the same God at work. And in fact, Paul does this deeply profound thing. I don't know if you noticed it there in verses 4, 5 and 6. He actually takes us into his view of how God is like. God is a Trinitarian God. Do you see that there? He mentions the Spirit. Then in verse 5, he mentions the Lord. Now, whenever he mentions Lord, he means Jesus, the Lord Jesus. And then he mentions God, verse 6. Whenever Paul almost always just uses the language of God, he means God the Father. And so what you have here is Paul almost unconsciously taking us into the diversity that's in God himself and drawing attention to the fact that the working of the gifts in our experience is the work of the Spirit of God, the Lord Jesus who is God, and God the Father. And he gives us a little bit more particular insight into this verse 8 in that he shows us there's a relationship between the members of the Trinity and the way gifts of the Spirit come to us. Look at verse 8. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. That is to say, God is the giver of the gifts. God the Father. But the Father gives the gifts to us through the Spirit. So it's not right actually to think of them as simply gifts of the Spirit. They're gifts of the Father who gives us them through the Spirit, by the merits and work of Jesus. You get, interestingly too, in Ephesians chapter 4, where there's a list of gifts mentioned, it's the Lord Jesus who gives the gifts. One of the craziness, crazy thing is to separate some gifts as evidence of the Spirit and not others, and one of the craziness things to do is to, is to separate some churches as spirit churches and some as Jesus churches. Um, the, the gifts of the Spirit come from the same God and Father, and all of them come from the same Father through the Spirit, whether spectacular or ordinary. They're all gifts of the one and the same God given to us through the Spirit. Paul was correcting a very serious problem in the early church. And as I mentioned... It's a problem that's still amongst us today. It is hugely tempting to make some gifts a particular evidence of being in touch with the Spirit. And it's usually the more spectacular gifts, the gifts that are harder to rationalise, the gifts that are harder to see in the natural world, if you like, gifts like tongues, prophecy, healings. And these seem to be the gifts that the Corinthian church were particularly enthused about. And you can see how it happens. You know, I live my ordinary life, but in the experience of church, I see these spectacular, irrational, unexplainable events, spirit things happening. This is a church that must be in touch with the spirit. It's what the Corinthians were doing. But Paul says to them, no, no, no. The great diversity of gifts, the one spirit. The gift of teaching, the one spirit. The gift of giving, one spirit. The gift of administration, the one spirit. They're all evidence of the hand of God by the spirit amongst us. And in fact, if you remember last week in the first three verses of this chapter, what is the genuine experience? What's the genuine evidence 
of the Spirit being in a person's life. It's not actually gifts. It is in fact rather, verse 3, that someone is able to say, Jesus is Lord. And not just use those words, of course Paul isn't just talking about the words, he means that someone's life can give expression to the fact that they're under the Lordship of Christ. What Paul is arguing for and Graham helpfully showed us last week is that that is a miraculous work of God. It's unless you're born by the Holy Spirit, John chapter 3, that you cannot even see the kingdom of God. And that a person comes to no longer live for themselves but to live for Jesus as Lord is evidence of the powerful, miraculous work of God in their lives. That's evidence of the Spirit. That's what a truly spiritual person looks like. The gifts, wonderful, but no particular gift is evidence of being in touch with the Spirit over against another. And churches, there's been a tendency in the last decades to label some churches as spirit churches because of the apparent evidence of the more spectacular gifts. But again, Paul would say, all the gifts, ordinary, spectacular, are evidence of the one God given through the same Spirit. It's Jesus' is Lord that is the conclusive evidence that you are in touch with the Spirit of God, that you are spiritual. Friends, there's the first key. How is it that diversity doesn't break us apart? How is it we can acknowledge diversity and yet keep unity and equality? By recognising that the gifts, the diversity comes from the one God who intended this diversity. But let me give you second tip, the second key. And it's a slightly different point that I want to suggest here that Paul is making. It's very similar but slightly different. It's that all the diversity of the gifts come from the one God who is responsible for the diversity by his grace. You see, this is larger the point that Paul makes all the way through here, but it's made very evident in verse 11. All these are the work of the one and same Spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as he determines. Diversity is there by the sovereign hand of God. He is the one who gives and distributes as he wills. He's responsible for the diversity. You know, there is a danger in diversity um, and it's not just a sense that a person is closer to the Spirit of God because they have a spectacular gift. The danger in diversity is that the spectacular gift becomes for someone an evidence that they're somehow more worthy of that gift. That they're somehow more able to unlock the hand of God in blessing upon their lives. That they've somehow found the key to the truly spiritual life, that somehow it's saying something about them. And Paul says, yes, diversity is there, but the diversity is there because of a power outside of us. He has distributed them as he sees fit. You know, if there is anything that cuts the nerve of elitism, this is it. We have what we have because of the will of another. 
This particularly relates to church, but also actually is hugely helpful in thinking more broadly in life as well. Let me start broad and come back to church. If you think, if you're a successful person, I don't know, you've successful job, you've moved ahead, you've got uh, significant wealth or whatever, one of the dangers in that kind of climate is to think that you got there because of your merit. And a terrible consequence of that is pride, power, elitism and self-satisfaction. Actually, if you did get there because of your efforts entirely, then it is a cause for pride. But here it is. Beneath every human success, so-called, is a small percentage of merit. Someone's worked hard or applied their abilities and so on in a certain way, that's true. But here it is. The bulk of your success is entirely outside of you. It's entirely because of circumstances outside of your control. Largely your success in life is because of your parents, the circumstances within which you grew up, the country you live in, the genetics that you inherited, the mind that you were given, the, the, the disposition, the, the, the work ethic that you in, inherited, you imbibed. These things are not your making. It is true in life broadly that the self-made man is largely a myth. 70% of a person's success, I'm <laughs> pulling some figures here, but 70% of a person's success, so-called, is because of circumstances outside of their control. They're, what they've been gifted, the circumstances of life they've been put into. 5% uh, is their own effort, a small part. 25% is just luck. It's just things went your way at a particular time, which you capitalised on. All of this cuts the nerve of pride and self-satisfaction and elitism. Now, it's true in life, but it's profoundly more true in church. People in church are gifted differently. We are all made in the image of God, but some have more spectacular gifts than others. Some have particularly powerful experiences of the gifting of God. It is true amongst us. And in inappropriate contexts, they're honoured for their gifts in a way that's not appropriate. But when you hear the, the Apostle Paul, his point is Corinthians and Christians at Erina, whatever you have has been gifted you by God. There's nothing to boast in. There's no merit to be had. You have what you have because of the kindness of God, a grace gift given you. Let me step back larger again and step out of church into the broader context again for a moment and talk about mothers. Mother's Day is a deeply troubling day for many people. Um, I, I, you know, that prayer that we just saw earlier is very moving if you know the people praying people who have lost children, people who have lost mothers, deeply moving to hear them pray about their loss. But let me give you the prayer of another person that I don't think was represented there, the prayer of a woman who longs to be a mother but is unable. 
Mother's Day is a deeply painful day. And I want to suggest to you, gently, that this theology that Paul brings us is hugely helpful to give you the resources to begin to deal with the pain that you're feeling. The Lord apportions as he wills. That you're unable to conceive and have a child because you're not married or because circumstances or because infertility, that you're in that place is given you by the Lord. And it is a loving gift. It's hard to see it, it's hard to feel it. There's pain in it that I think is appropriate, not pretending to minimise that pain or grief. But when you appreciate who it is who has put you where you are, then you've now got the resources to deal with the pain, to entrust yourselves to that God who distributes to each one just as he determines. Who is Romans chapter 8, working all things together for good. Trust him in this. Look to him for it. Do you know, the, the woman who has been given four children, she has been given what she has been given by the hand of God. The Lord has placed us each where we are. Entrust ourselves to him in that. He is working for your good. You won't understand all the ins and outs until one day we stand before him and see the fuller picture. But trust him. I don't pretend it's easy. And mothers, those of you who have been granted the gift of children, don't find your meaning in your mothering. Find it in the God who has granted you that gift, who distributes as he chooses. Those of you who have gifts, many, don't find your identity and your meaning in those gifts. Find them in the God who distributes as he wills. Let me take you to the third and last key. It's there in verse 7. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So the Apostle Paul sees diversity. He sees the richness of the Corinthian experience with the spiritual gifts and he says this ought not lead you to elitism or tribalism or disunity because the one Spirit gave them all and the one God who gave them all through the Spirit gave them as he determined. You're not more worthy because you have them. Third, he says they were given for the common good. This diversity is given for the sake of you being able to give what you've been given for others and their good. I have the gifts I have. You have what you have for the common good. It's not about me. It's not about my self-satisfaction. It's not about me and my meaning in life. It's not about me finding fulfilment with what I have. To each one, verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And right here is the end of division and disunity and elitism amongst church. Whatever I have is for the sake of serving others. And that orientation transforms everything. 
Whatever I have, whether spectacular or ordinary, is given by God. It's not my work. It's not my merit. There's nothing I can boast in. It doesn't mean I'm closer to the Spirit of God. What I've been given by God is for the sake of helping others. And whilst ever my gaze is fixed outside myself on the needs of others, there'll be no place for pride or elitism or boasting or disunity or division. I give and I look to you and your needs with whatever the Lord has given me. But whenever your eyes are fixed on yourself, and your gift and whether you have one or not when your eyes are fixed on yourself and your own sense of identity in what you have the fact that you're um, a great uh, leader a great giver a great teacher a great singer a great musician when your eyes are fixed on yourself and the gifts that you have when your eyes are fixed on your sense of worth that you gain from those gifts your sense of satisfaction that you have in using them when it's fixed on your sense of self-fulfillment you have in using your gifts, there is the fertile soil for disunity. Because it cultivates a culture of jealousy and envy. It's one of those things that you cannot hide. When I use my gifts for my satisfaction, it subtly communicates a message that this is actually about me. And what I have, which makes you want to have what I've got, because what I have is special. And it creates division and disunity. I don't know, this is a terrible illustration, but I'm going to use it anyway. It's skateboarding. Um, there's a thing about riding skateboards fast that, um, not that I'm any great expert at this, but uh, it, it, there's a thing called speed wobble that when you're going on a skateboard, it starts to wobble uncontrollably. One of the keys to stopping that is not look down, but keep, keep the frame in because it helps you balance. But when you look down, suddenly you lose the frame and you, start, you begin to wobble. Spiritual gifts are like that. The more you look within and look in yourself at your gift and its fulfilment and satisfaction, the more it wobbles, the more it creates a climate of self-satisfaction, pride, elitism, jealousy, I want what you've got and you create a climate that's poisonous. And here's the challenge culturally. We live at a time when the most powerful driver in our culture is towards personal self-fulfillment. We have uh, moved through, uh, here's a quick analysis of our history. We have moved through the 1930s, 1940s, where it was poverty and you had to get a job just to earn a living, into the 1950s where prosperity began to emerge and the middle class grew and into the 60s and 70s where we largely could pay our bills, most of us, not all, and we could pay our bills and what was left for us was actually finding fulfilment in it all and the most satisfaction we could in it all. We were no longer just having to survive, we could stick our heads up and so many people no longer worked to live they worked to find self-fulfillment, self-satisfaction. In fact, everything became about finding my sense of myself, any strengths that I have, any talents and abilities, and exercising them was about my, me and my enjoyment of life. And so that flooded across into the Christian world. 
And, and so I sought to find out my gifts so that I could be who I am and experience the full satisfaction of being who I am in the experience of using my gifts. Our eyes were fixed within. We'd become very Corinthian. And Paul says, no, that will just breed jealousy, envy and division. The key is to orientate for the common good. That's why God gave us the gifts. The thing that kills off divisions in a climate of diversity, because diversity is great, a beautiful gift of God. The thing that kills off disunity and divisions and jealousy amongst a diversely gifted group of people is using whatever gift we have for the love of others. Looking away from ourselves. And that forms a totally different culture. It forms, it forms a church culture that is unique. Where people who are very ordinary, we come in, <laughs> I put myself, we come in and we find a home amongst people who are not about themselves, who are not looking to break into their party spirits, but are actually looking to give and serve and love. That creates a culture that is powerfully attractive to the world that does not know any of this kind of life where there is genuine service and sacrifice and love and giving. We look to the needs of others as above our own. We become like Jesus, who was different to the father of the same stuff, but was sent by the father. He didn't send the father and the son was serving both the father and the son. And there's difference, diversity in the one God, but shaped and held together by love. The spirit church is a very different church than being obsessed about gifts. It's a church obsessed about the Lord Jesus, loving and serving him and looking for the common good. You know, years ago, uh, a friend of mine, I'm finishing with this, a friend of mine, a man called Michael, who's now died and gone to be the Lord, he, um, he used to come to Summerfest from Sydney and he was an extraordinary man. He uh, was a QC, a Queen's Council. That's the kind of top level of lawyer. And he was, I think, the only person in the country that was asked to be a QC. He didn't actually pursue it himself. He was a very capable man. He wrote legislation for the New South Wales government. He would come up every year to join us on Summerfest. And he would live in a caravan at Erina High School with his wife. No one knew his background. Each day, he took on the job of cleaning the toilets out. It didn't matter his background, it didn't matter his prestige, he got in amongst and looked to serve the common good. I remember sitting one day with a man called Sid Bacon. Joan, I hope you're listening in, but Sid, who has also sadly gone to be with the Lord, uh, left us, but gone to be with the Lord wonderfully. Sid said to me one day, Michael is an angel living on earth. Because what... Sid saw in Michael was a man who'd captured the truth of 1 Corinthians, who used whatever gifts he had for the common good. In fact, didn't think about his own satisfaction in it, didn't think about his own fulfilment, just gave and served and loved. Imagine a church like that. That's the church the Apostle Paul wants to pursue with us. And it matters 
Because what God intends is that the church would hold out to the world the hope of unity and equality in the midst of diversity. Because it's all driven by the one God who distributes as he wills for the sake of loving others. It's a wonderful picture. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask, please, that you might help us capture this picture. Please free us from the Corinthian spirit. Help us to appreciate that all the different gifts come from you, the one God who has given them all, distributes them as you will. And we pray you'd help us capture that you have given them, not for our fulfilment and satisfaction, but for the common good, that we might no longer look at ourselves, but look to the Lord Jesus and look to the needs and, and wants of others that we might serve and give and sacrifice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.